bought a bought a mic. You pig fuck! I am the Mikester. Alright. We bought infringement. Start again. Say your name. We bought a mic. We bought a mic too. Have you ever slept with someone in your family? Have you ever slept with someone in your family? Who was it? My auntie. (laughs) Hey guys. Hey, that theme song gets longer every week. I swear, (laughs) folks. I can I can speed it up a little bit. Can sound a little. Uh, uh, make it like a hundred gex song. Everybody just <laughs> listen to their <laughs> podcast on like one point two five speed. You guys change the speeds of your podcasts? Nope. Hell no. Okay. I was I just. I just didn't that. know. I mean, I, I. I don't know. I've listened to enough ad reads where there's like you can speed up your podcast to listen to it at two times speed, and I'm like, that's nonsense. Please don't do that. I have um, a few drunk. I listened to an audio book on like one point two five because the author was narrating it, and he was very old. So he was going very slow. I've well, I've done it. Some if I have like a backlog of podcasts, I'm trying to plow through them one day. Then I, I will go up to a one point two, but that's my max. Mm, mm. Sometimes we get a little bit slow on this podcast, and mm-hmm. we just need to speed it yeah. up. If you play, Whoa. if you go, if you play our podcast on double speed, every episode is only three hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we bought a mic and pop culture podcast here mm. drinking a concoction that I cooked up in the basement with some ah. paint thinner with some a uh, bit jet fuel in here. Is this tortoise? Is there tortoise poop in here? Or what yes. is that? Okay. Oh, yes. that's what that flavor is. A little poopy. Um, hey, I'm Ernest. I am... A man, a writer. Mm. Oh, I fucked it up. A theoretical a writer, physicist, a doctor, theoretical physicist. But I am a man, hunter. Doesn't he also say like nuclear scientist? <laughs> nuclear scientist. He says nuclear wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I am Rami Malik. I'm Drew. I want to fart in your face. Academy <laughs> Award winner Rami Malik. Unfortunate. We're talking the master, Paul Thomas Anderson's. 2012 yes yeah. yes that's uh, i correct. guess uh, film i uh, I, I, I guess so you anyway, could say the master is, is a masterpiece <laughs> i wrote that note down guys i, we, I uh, have it written down so i wouldn't forget yeah it's on your fucking palm like yeah, it carved into yeah your well i was because i saw joker in this movie um, and I was like, oh, my God, that's Joker. He's damaged. Yeah, that that that's something that I noted is uh, it's really interesting because he Joaquin gets so much credit for his performance in Joker, how he, he manipulated his posture. But you can clearly see that he originally figured out that posture while beating his shit on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Look at his shoulders, the way his shoulders yeah, are sticking. When he's it's- cranking his fucking schmeat into the ocean. <laughs> That was the first As Joker we all scene. Do. <laughs> that was the first Joker scene. We've all been there on the beach. Man, imagine uh oof, boy. Imagine like if like just to know what Todd Phillips' dark twist on the master would be. 
No, I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> Hell no. But imagine PTA doing Joker. Well, that would be a lot like this, I think, in some yeah. ways. Um, did we want to give the listeners a quick little catch up before we dive into the master, though? I Sure. I can I can do some quick stuff. All right. Some what things have, to plug. What have you been catching up on? Um, Real quick, uh, just a heads up for the listeners. Uh, just watch Titanic. Uh, it's a masterpiece. I thought that I didn't know if Ernest had got there because he was doing a whole James Cameron watch through. No, not yet. After rewatching Titanic, I have an urge to do a James Cameron watch through because uh, my God, does the guy know how to do spectacle? Unlike Hell anybody yeah. else. Uh, it's kind. Of, I mean, it's it's pretty much perfect. There's like nits to pick in the movie uh, with some of the narrative stuff. But the fact that he made like this movie that has something for literally everyone, it's something that it's it's a producer's dream, this movie, because it's something that you can take the whole family to because the like I'm not speaking specifically about anything. I'm just talking about how Hollywood thinks about stuff whenever I say this, but like for the women, there's the romance. And then for the men, there's the big set pieces with things blowing up and crazy and there's guns shooting at each other. And so it is something that is like perfect for everyone, Um, especially in the 90s. But I mean, perfect for everyone. But that's not to say that this movie uh, was just a slam dunk from the get go. It very, very easily could have fallen apart if it was in the wrong hands. I think that really James Cameron and maybe if Spielberg would have taken to this like early 90s, late 80s or so. By late 90s, Spielberg had kind of started to settle into a little bit of a groove aside from a couple of things. But yeah, um, Titanic. And then also just wanted to give a shout out. Uh, I was planning on doing this whenever the French Dispatch came out. That is uh, TBD for now, whenever that movie eventually gets released. 2021, right? I think. Is it officially moved to 2021? I mean, at this point. Hey, New Mutants comes out next week, baby. That's right. I have my hazmat suit ready to go for New Mutants. Christ. Um, I don't know what's going on with the French Dispatch right now, but I was planning on doing a Wes Anderson watch through anyways. Um, Just watch Bottle Rocket within the last year because I got the crate for it. That's a movie that I really enjoyed a lot. And so kind of I skipped over Bottle Rocket since I had just seen that one and then watched Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums, which I hadn't seen until since I think high school or maybe very early college watched those movies. So it's been a little while and they're both excellent. I do think it's funny that Owen Wilson has only written three movies in his life, and they're the first three Wes Anderson movies, and they're all so goddamn funny. And it makes me kind of wonder, like, maybe it is just like Wes Anderson is the perfect match for him, or maybe he does have like this untapped writing skill to him, because especially Rushmore. Rushmore is like right up there with just my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I uh, I love him in um, Darjeeling brought that up a little while mm-hmm. ago he doesn't have writing credit on that one but he, that's that's one of the two that i have not seen from wes it's it's a good one yeah, yeah i, I love it. it's a lot of autobiography for uh owen wilson in that movie yeah i remember yeah i remember we we chatted about that but with the nose with the car accident yeah and the, for sure yeah he's you know well that, darkness that's, a that's, little darkness in there that's crazy that he doesn't have writing credit on that if it's autobiographical to a certain extent. Hmm. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I don't know why he doesn't at least have like some kind of maybe it, it was. 
Well, you you know, kind of if someone else writes it. about your life, then you don't you didn't write it. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I mean, I uh, all uh, all three of his first films are excellent. Um, I know I'm not the biggest Bottle Rocket fan, Drew. I know that you are. You're the highest one here yeah, on Bottle, Bottle Rocket. Rocket. Um, I still haven't seen it. It's it's his least Wes Anderson of his movies. Just yeah. that it's kind of the I mean, in a way that might make it more palatable to a lot of people if his aesthetic kind of rubs you the wrong way. But it's not as like pitch perfect precision as so many of his other projects are. Royal Tenenbaums especially is like very, very Wes Anderson. Like it's kind of no surprise that right after Tenenbaums, I believe he did Life Aquatic. Which was, I think that was his kind of step where he's just like, all right, I think I need to pull it back just a little bit. Like, this is kind of too much for most people. Um, but yeah. According to Deadline, French Dispatch is definitely pushed till um, 2021. It's so, a bummer. Yeah. Speaking of Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> Blood Brothers, <laughs> Spiritual Brothers. I was, I, are they? <laughs> Film Brothers. Okay. Uh, he made a little movie called The Master. What would The Master look like if it was directed by Wes Anderson? Uh, worse. I hate to say it. Well, it'd be it. Would it be nearly it, it as dark? It would look. It would look a lot like Life Aquatic. This, <laughs> yeah, it's which is of, you know an incredible looking movie. Of this course, this really might be like the most depressing movie that PTA has ever made. It's definitely his most nihilistic movie ever yeah. made. It's just kind of like almost reaches a point of like Sisyphus push, pushing the rock up the hill. Like it's just like you kind of are who you are and you mm. can try to change it, but you won't. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's, it, there will be blood has a very similar dynamic between two characters who are struggling against uh, similar but different like classical follies of mankind mm-hmm. um and the, yeah this this is that but instead of dano and uh day lewis we get the homie phoenix uh starting to get a vibe for paul thomas anderson's casting preferences because <laughs> uh, he has a strikingly similar look to daniel day lewis of course and then uh you can you can tell it's a lot like the Coen brothers. He casts on face. A lot of the time, the face is all you need to see it, like to put someone in your movie if they have like a smaller part. Yep. Uh, so as a result, we get uh, Jesse Plemons. Yeah. Looks a whole a goddamn awful lot like Philip Seymour Hoffman. I, might I as love, well play his fucking son. I mm-hmm. do love how like there's definitely like two different points when somebody's just like, yeah, and this is my son. There's like, oh, I can see the resemblance. Like he's like, I can too. <laughs> Should we even have a spoiler section for this? Review? Well, we can give kind of some over. Yeah, there's there's some bit. overall stuff going on because this is his follow up. Of course, that there will be blood, which was like insanely acclaimed somehow didn't. Uh, win the big cheese uh, and then this was him you know this was uh, plot wise it's it's more reductive it's it doesn't have as cohesive of a structure as traditional of a plot as there will be blood yeah and I as remember result, what I was saying last week about PTA being hands-off with his storytelling yeah this is like the yeah. whole movie is that to the 10th degree. Yeah, and it also plays into the feeling that the movie's trying to generate. I'm sure that you probably said something uh, like related to that whenever you talked about it uh, a while ago when you saw this movie because you you can't watch it without noticing 
they uh it's it's about essentially you know you might want to brush up on scientology uh their their practices for indoctrinating people and also sea org specifically uh the branch of scientology that took place at sea in the ocean in a boat um because yeah this movie is about you know people essentially being hypnotized uh by a cult leader and it hypnotizes you yes. but well that's it's the thing that's insane. the thing about this movie that pta loves to do where i mean it's similar to how he was with there will be blood where it's about the oil boom but it's not really about the oil boom that's just a backdrop and it's the same thing with boogie nights where it's not a movie about porn but the porn industry is the setting of mm-hmm. it the setting of this movie is the birth of scientology allegedly um <laughs> Of course, if you they ask anybody actually, in the film, they'll say no, because uh, Church of Scientology is notorious for suing people yeah. mm-hmm. who try and take their likeness. Um, but I, it, the way that that works is a setting to just display, again, what we talked about, there will be blood to his fascination, PTA's fascination with broken people and broken relationships specifically. Yeah. And what we seek out of life when we're broken, mm-hmm. like how like we try to fill in the whole of what we are. Um, speaking toward the Scientology thing also, they, I don't, I don't know if you came across this, but PTA, he has admitted partially that like, yes, it is partially based on L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology. He showed this to Tom Cruise cause they were homies oh, yeah. and Cruise was pissed. He walked out very mad. Like they yeah. had like a big fight about it. Um, because specifically, oh, no. specifically because of things that Jesse Plemons says about his father, because that directly mirrors what happened in real life that the L. Ron Hubbard's son like spoke out against our Ron Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fun. So Grammy Malik plays Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> so are you saying that Tom Cruise isn't going to come back in a PTA film soon? Because that does, that is kind of heartbreaking. It's a bummer, but um, it's, I think, I think he might be able to get another good actor yeah. <laughs> instead. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you can have somebody else. Um, I'd rather respect have the cock. <laughs> Who else could have been? The cunt. Uh, so we did we did talk about this movie briefly in our best of the decade pod. Yeah, it was on my list. It was mm-hmm. on all yours. of us. It was on it was on yours. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I had it at number three. Yeah, but now we get the chance to like really dig into it, and it's like it's like a blessing and a curse to do a podcast on this movie because on one hand it's like a movie that begs to be ripped apart and not ripped apart in a bad way, but like in an analytical yeah, way like dissected. But also it's like so uh, intimidating to like try to make sense of this movie. Yeah. Because you you can't. No. It's not meant to be the, solved. I think that two of the easiest things to tackle in terms of objective criticism of the movie are A, I think I thought when I first saw this in high school, I still think that this might be the best looking movie I've ever seen. There's a texture to it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's incredibly textured, layered. uh shots flow into one another so unbelievably well uh the colors are like you know you could write books about how i don't understand how he grades these movies so that the blues are so strikingly deeply blue and yet the rest of the frame is a perfectly normal cut like it's not oversaturated in any way it's insane there like you can't see what trick he's using it feels impossible how good the movie looks 
Um, that ocean. Yeah. That sweet no, I mean, talk. Ocean. You've been a guest on the first and final frames podcast a couple of times now. Talk about a first and final frame to this movie that is just yeah. like utter perfection. Yeah. Is how this movie starts and how it ends is just yeah so so striking visually. Yeah. Uh, the other uh, most objective thing that you could say about this movie is that it's some of the best acting that we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, you between PSH, Joaquin, and Amy Adams, yeah. that right there, I would say it's their best work, and I would also say it's, like, some of the best acting ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. Amy Adams is the only one who's kind of up for debate for me just because she's had more to do in other movies that I she's really so enjoy her in. Though. She's excellent in this. What's kind of funny about this movie is when this movie came out, like, it was not received nearly as vivaciously as there will be blood was this movie was a bomb at the box office it yeah. failed to make back its budget 28 against the 32 the only like academy nominations it got were for the trio that we just mentioned mm. didn't get any kind of best picture didn't get director didn't get screenplay yeah got best trio best <laughs> it won best trio um it didn't even win it it was just nominated yeah, for just, it it's like um, one of those weird daytime oscars that they which <laughs> just like I, shit out <laughs> So, I mean, I've thought about this before, um, and I know I'm, I'm stealing a take from um, a friend of the pod, Bill Simmons, uh, about how we should have the Oscars every five years, mm, like how we yeah. do the Hall of Fame, because... Have they kept doing that on yeah. this podcast? Yeah, they do it like every year around okay. like February, March time. They just do the five-year Oscars, which is kind of... That's how we should evaluate movies because so they guess that? what people aren't talking about anymore. The Shape of Water. Oh, yeah, um, no so like, but they did that for and there's like the master was the best movie to come out that year. It should have swept everything because what was it up against? Um, it lost to I think was this the artist year? No, 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 no. Artist was the year before. That was 2011. 2012 was. Hold on, I'm trying to pull it up here. I should have this on the top of my head. You should have this fucking memorized. I haven't dude. gotten to 2012 yet, okay? Just give me give Also, me, was give it me the 2013 break. Oscars? Yeah, it was though? the 2013 Oscars. I have it as my um, number one. Oh, it was Argo. Argo won this oh, year. Oh, Christ. The Argo, remember when we were just like proud to be Americans? You know, I had a really bizarre dream the other night that... Um, you guys both reached a consensus that Argo was the best movie of the decade. This isn't a joke. I actually, this was in a dream I had. Man, the pandemic is getting. Yeah, I know. And I was confused because it turned out Argo was actually an acronym for something. And you kept calling it the full name. <laughs> and I was like, well, Argo guys, what? No, Drew, come on. You know, that's a dream because you know that I'm a zero dark 30 stand. Mm -hmm. uh, Rami goes Oscar. <laughs> yeah. And is that, did that tell this the was future? a, Oh, this was a rough uh, Oscar year because, I mean, there was um, uh, Django and Chain came out that year. Is that Lincoln? Like, Seth MacFarlane. Lincoln. I, I love Lincoln, dude. It's fine. Uh, remember, that was the year that we were like, J-Law is Meryl Streep. And we tried really hard. She got Silver, Silver Linings, Linings Playbook Lines. came out that year. Les Miserables. Les Mis. Um, yeah, I'm just going to leave that there. Uh, Life of Pi, which is a movie that I do not like. Um, don't let Colin hear that. I know we've we've argued about this for a long time. I don't like the book and I don't like the movie. Francis mm. Ha was that year. Francis Ha was. Well, I'm just talking about actually like the in Oscar the running. Movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, getting back to the master itself. 
it's kind of like silly looking at this now and you're like, this didn't get anything for like cinematography or something. Cause this is like yeah. the most gorgeous looking movie ever. It's, it's unbelievable. The Johnny Greenwood score is like, yeah. just it's right on par with the score for there will be blood. Well, so like, so I don't last week I said that phantom thread was my favorite Johnny Greenwood. But mm. now after rewatching this movie, I'm like, it's, oh, it's very, very I hypnotic score. It's hypnotic, but it also, it, he has kind of this waltzy nature to it that puts you in the 1950s. Like you listen to it and you know the time and place that you are set in. Even if you strip apart all the beautiful set design and the costume design and stuff like that, you can just kind of hear the score and it puts you in a certain year range. Yeah. I think um, the fact that this movie doesn't really spend too much time on like exposition or dialogue or really plot of any sort, the score really kind of takes center stage for long stretches of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it it kind of carries it. I mean, obviously the performances are key, but there's just these long stretches where you're just seeing these actors do the weirdest shit, no dialogue. And this score is just like ticking right along, mm-hmm. carrying you through it, sort of sending you into this trance yeah it just chugs along um and again this this movie isn't necessarily for everyone um but i i think i've said this about other movies it is very much a matter of attention allocation um if you are seeking out like plot and structure that's ain't it that's not yeah if that's what you're spending your attention looking for you're not going to have a good time uh it's a matter of realizing that you need to shift your your mind over to how it's looking and feeling and the acting yeah like that is what you need to be focused on which that doesn't always work for me like there are certain movies where like it's very intentionally Not everybody's paul thomas sanders well i know and uh, yeah and even like great movies that you know people like they're sometimes it the recipe just doesn't work for me so i'm not it's not in a pejorative way that i'm saying this but um if like I, cause I saw this in high school and I think it was maybe the first movie that I saw that visually, the visuals alone, like hit me really, really hard. And I'm not a, a visually inclined fella. Uh, like you I, you can't deny don't, it. Yeah. I, this is, the well, don't part, tell that to the Wabamis. This is honestly visually stunning is the highest award that that's we get true. every year. This should, this is the part of the pod where I reveal after all these years that I am blind. <laughs> <laughs> And I have been this whole time. You just read the scripts in Braille and you're like, ha ha ha. That's why every movie, I, all I talk about is the Foley work. This is all I have to base it off. <laughs> Paul Thomas I, um, Anderson gave you sight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a movie. I also think that this movie kind of does demand rewatch, like yes. more so than a lot of his movies. Like oh. this is the movie. That's why whenever I talked about There Will Be Blood, about how I go back and forth between this movie and There Will Be Blood being my favorite is because every single time I just rewatched this yesterday and every single time I watch this movie, I love it more than I did before. The first time I liked it, I immediately respected it and really enjoyed it, but it kind of, because it is so it's not thin on plot, but it doesn't spoon feed you any of this information. It requires you to kind of tune in and pick up on stuff from the end of the movie and kind of put it back in your rewatch. I will also say that aside from maybe Boogie Nights, this is probably his most rewatchable movie, though. Like as far as just like you finish it and you're like, all right, let's throw that shit yeah. on repeat. Let's well, put it back on. For me, it's so rewatchable because it's not plot heavy. Yeah. Because I can just kind of like let it wash over me. It's it's almost uh, PTA's blonde 
<laughs> Whereas there will be blood is his channel orange, <laughs> if you will. It's it's more of a vibe. That's that's honestly, great for everybody. Yeah, good for Frank. Good for PTA. Honestly, that's more astute than probably you thought it'd be before you said it. Uh, that works. That think again because I'm very much like everything I say. <laughs> that clears. That clears. Yeah, it holds up. Yeah, it's it's a vibey follow up to a traditional masterpiece. Right. Yes. Yeah. And and with there will be blood. Like I think that. You know, we were just saying like it, it has more of the critical acclaim. You can very easily look at that movie and find like the more sort of classical approachable parts of it that could dictate it as like to stand side by side with like any of the other classics of yeah. all time. This movie, I don't think stands side by side with any other movie i mean you'd mm. probably have to go you have to dig deeper to like some like bergman type stuff yeah let's go through like a bergman lynch even like right i'm not as big on him as i am the other two but like terrence malick exactly. even like using kind of stuff like that where it is it's about something but it's more about how the movie is making you feel that yes. it's not anything specifically yeah it, that's honestly that's it is like you watch this movie and even watching this, I think this might be like the third or fourth time I've seen it. I still don't really know what it's about, but it always makes me feel yeah. more than like most movies and make me feel. It also, it mirrors uh, the indoctrination process of this organization because the more that you surrender yourself to PTA, mm -hmm. the more you're going to get out of the movie. If you just let yourself believe, you're going to like yeah. it more. There's a line where PSH says that like the secret to living in these bodies is laughter. And I was like, that's that's Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> Like, that's what he's all about. That's his whole mantra is like, because right before that, PSH is just like mockingly saying like, oh, this is oh, so very serious. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just PTA just putting it right there on the page, like his entire approach to filmmaking mm. and what he believes his role is as a storyteller mm -hmm. is that he believes in the cosmic ridiculous humor of yeah, existence the cosmic yeah. joke yeah yeah they there's i i read a while back like a, a book by some like veteran comedy script doctor and he said he summed up the the cosmic joke in a really great great way by saying like the the ultimate joke is that no matter how hard we all try we will never know why we're here and what we are supposed to be doing uh, and that is, a lot of that That's is what this movie is about. Exactly. He's trying to find everyone is trying to find their purpose. Yeah, I, I like, have a whole thought on that, but that goes into spoilers for whenever we want to go into that towards the end of the movie about something the PSH oh, says the very to end. Joaquin. Yes, the very end. I mean, I, that's that whole bit at the end. It's like basically like, why are we here? Why am I watching this movie? What is anybody in this movie doing? What do these yeah. characters want? What are their goals? What where are they trying to arrive at? And like any other director would hopelessly fail at trying to put a story together like this and have it be effective. But somewhat somehow he manages to do this. And like I, I always think about, you know, like I I made some short films in college and a bunch of other people in my classes would make films that would try to be opaque and that would be the, the, the purpose behind it would intentionally be obscured mm -hmm. so as to feel artful. 
And um, listener, I encourage you to look up a movie. It's an Ernest Calderon film on YouTube <laughs> called Umbridge, in which I play a I'm in a full black morph suit <laughs> and I weigh about 100 pounds <laughs> and That's I shit. I emerge from a <laughs> lake uh, fully unable to see or breathe because I was in a morph suit <laughs> and drag friend of the pod Brett into the lake. <laughs> and it's better than the master. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's more visually stunning, more tonally. But it, it, it becomes this cliche thing for like college film students to like try to attempt that sort of like, you know, hands off sort of storytelling where you're you want the viewer to figure it out yeah. for themselves and you want to make them work for it and more often than not that just makes it so it's like i don't give a shit about what this you're is. gonna get a lot more like uh nicholas winding riffin types than you are yeah. PTAs. <laughs> exactly exactly and and it's so difficult and it's so rare to see a movie that manages to do that and also deliver mm. on a deeper level i i was actually wondering this while watching this because this is like a perfect film school movie did you ever watch any pta in school or is he too contemporary i never watched a single i don't i don't think we maybe we watched like one thing from there will be blood okay. oh no we no, no no yeah we definitely watched the um the beginning of of um, Boogie Nights, the opening oh, okay. shot, the tracking shot in the club of Boogie Nights. I okay. vividly remember that one. Mm -hmm. And I think that professor also showed us the William H. Macy New Year's scene. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because it's another, also another track tracking. Shot. Yeah, yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, this is this is a gorgeous movie. Um, it leaves you with questions, but they are answerable. Mm -hmm. it, you don't you don't you don't have to stay in the darkness yeah, but the answer think, is not the point yeah no the answer not. is not the point it's kind of it's about the journey but it's not about the journey in like a classic like hero's journey mm -hmm. kind of a way because for the most part people don't really change in this movie they kind of are who we thought that they were except for like Maybe there is some stuff that we can kind of talk about with Joaquin's uh, own character stuff that like I even just discovered stuff on this watch through like my fourth or fifth watch through of this movie of like new things through his character. But like for the most part, everybody kind of is the same in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's just about what is it like to be this person? Because PTA, I think that the floating aspect with his camera work in this movie and there's a lot more like long tracking shots and really long oneers in this movie than there is in a lot of other PTA joints. And I think that a lot of that is purposeful to kind of slowly put you in the mind of Freddie Quill. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like, what if you were this person in this crazy world that and he's, he's an he's an unstable man yes yeah he's nuts he is uh not yeah. well so I by mean, putting you in his perspective you feel like none of what you're watching makes any sense the first time i watched this movie like i had like a little bit of like a nauseating sense it's yeah yeah of this movie he he yeah the thing that struck me on rewatch is that he does have like far and away the most screen time in the mm -hmm. movie like he is the star of the movie it's just not a ddl situation and there will be blood where he is like the only person in the movie for like you know most of the movie yeah. uh but that's yeah so that said we're we're mostly from his perspective but the time that we spend with the legend psh uh I'll value it forever. 
Oh, I again, I just get so sad. We'll talk man. at the end of this movie. He I was so good, it, dude. Like. He was so fucking talented. Yeah, I'm so sad that he's it's, gone. Yeah, this was his role. Like, mm. it, I know he won the Oscar for Capote. He did, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah, yeah, that's his only Oscar one. To me, this is this is it. Yeah, the magnetism mm. of that character is unbelievable, and. Just to think of who he had played in every other uh, PTA movie up to that point is really, really <laughs> incredible how slight and small he is in moments Holy in those shit, movies that's so versus true. being the most magnanimous, I, booming person. You in guys the room. have to watch Hard Eight just so you can see he's in like a cameo where he's just like a guy who's just like on the roulette table. He's like, do it. You won't do it. And he's just like, ah, you missed it. Oh, well, <laughs> like just, he's just like yeah. he's got like two girls on his side. Just yeah, unbelievable PSH. range. Like it's. It's like Dame Lode in the playoffs right now. Like he can pull up from 30 mm. like nothing. All right. Well, I think with that, we can dive into spoilers. Um, yeah. Any last thoughts before we any last claws? Yeah. Hunter's Grabbing Claws. We we love this movie. Uh, we recommend it. It's it is, on Netflix. It's gorgeous. It is uh, hypnotizing. It is confusing. Uh, it is tricky. Uh, but it also it leaves me feeling unbelievably satisfied that's not the case for everybody but yeah. it, it leaves me with such a sense of like i just watched a fucking movie yeah uh which isn't always the case with like movies that are you know quote unquote like good or like you know like tricky yeah and it's to me it's so hard to pick which one i like better this or there will be blood because there will be blood i think has like this more kind of epic gravitas to it yeah and it, well, it also has more uh of a pace to it like it yeah. chugs along at more of a, a clip than yeah. this does and Definitely. i think i think the the sort of freak out scenes in there will be blood are a slightly more cathartic you know the i've abandoned my boy that type of thing like give me the blood <laughs> give me the blood lord bastard in a basket bastard in a basket <laughs> don't bully me daniel yeah <laughs> I this isn't as quotable as there will be blood at least but, but it still has I mean this is the thing with PTA is like it still has something and I can't quite put my fucking finger yeah, on it. it it's your well that's that's why all of his movies are incredible because they they marry you know the film school 101 shit like you're learning about his tracking shots but also he does a lot of things in every single one of his movies that is not taught anywhere it's it's just him chasing a feeling he had that it would be a good idea, which is I mean, that's that's the pinnacle of any great art in my mind is yes. when, you, when you can, you know, you have mastery of all of the basic tenets, but then you also are combining it with like just genuine artistry. So I guess you could say the real master. It's Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, see you all next, right. See you next week. <laughs> Last chance before spoilers. It's on Netflix. If you have yet to see it, please watch it. I feel like nobody is turning on this movie on Netflix. It's it's lovely. Uh, one of my favorite movie posters of all time as well. I love it so much. I, I would put I, that up in my house. I have a little story for uh, whenever we get into spoilers. Let's um, get into let's, it. Right let's do now. it now. So we can like start from the beginning of this movie, but there is a scene in which um, Joaquin Phoenix hallucinates and just sees like 
dozens of nude women just like standing around while Philip Seymour Hoffman is playing. Yeah, that's piano. well into the movie. Yeah, well into the movie. That was the scene that a uh, guy had decided to emerge from the bedroom and come out. <laughs> just like, what the fuck are you watching right now? Like, we aren't hanging out. So you're, you're like, yeah, it's a movie. Uh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's she was like, is film. that Laura Dern just naked? <laughs> I was like, yep, sure is. That's right, Toots. That's our queen, Laura Dern. <laughs> All right. 30 second challenge, each of you. One first. We'll do Drew first. Describe the plot of this movie. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix plays a veteran, uh, a strange loner veteran who uh, is like an insane alcoholic who ends up by happenstance joining the crew of what turns out to be a cult that is led by Philip Seymour Hoffman. He gives Philip Seymour Hoffman some crazy fucking uh, liquor that I want to try. That's made of gas. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you guys, would you guys try that? Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, he becomes, you know, a part of it, but also he causes Time's a lot up. of trouble. That's the end. <laughs> All right. Hunter. That was that was pretty good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. All right. 30 seconds, Hunter. Describe the plot of this movie. All right. Uh, this is movie is much like PTA's other work. It's just about a purely broken person coming into a broken system and kind of trying to see if he can find a way to better himself in this broken system and take out the right uh, things from it. That's pretty much all that I can say about this movie. <laughs> I mean, you can get more into the specifics about the culture. Yeah, that's the thing is like you that, can go but specific, but that's, that's it's, it's too vibey. Like it, well, I feel like that kind of misses the point. Right. The more specific you get and the more like you like try it's and point out like, plot. well, yeah, like if did you, if you read Hubbard the one Relish's sentence second online, book like, in uh, 1950, no, like, like it's, it's just it's it just missing the point. If you read any short description of the plot online, you're like, lol, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, <laughs> sure. That's not it. Yeah. This is the, the letterbox. Oh, an alcoholic causes problems on a ship. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the letterbox description is Freddie, a volatile, heavy drinking veteran who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder finds some semblance of a family when he stumbles on the ship of Lancaster Dodd, the charismatic leader of a new religion he forms after World yeah. War II. I um, mean, that is, you know, that is the, like, the first act like, uh, the, summary yeah, I guess. that you would give to people without, to try to not spoil. Uh, I, I was having a hard time summarizing like how I felt about the, the differences in struggle between Joaquin and, and uh P PSH in this movie. But luckily, I I think I shouted out Matt Chrisman on Letterboxd last week because of like a funny review. This Chapo like, guy? Yeah, it's it's cheap, but this really summed it up better than I could, I think. He said he, you know, he had a weird relationship with the movie. He was trying to figure it out, much like many people watching this. He says the key shot is the two of them in their adjoining cells when they're in prison. Ooh. Yes, I, I have a whole I had a yeah. whole bit exactly. about, right about it's, that. It's, it's, yeah. So Dodd is stock still. Uh, Freddy is thrashing wildly. One man consumed by the delusion that he is a being of pure spiritual will. The other owned by uncontrollable animal impulse drawn and repelled by that which they envy and fear in the other, which, of course, exists in both of them. Yes, I heard that Joaquin destroyed like a historical yeah, he, he, jail he, cell. He, he will that he didn't know that that toilet could break and he broke it. And it, that was like a historical. <laughs> this, this is a very historic jail cell. So he broke something important. Such a physical performance by him. Yeah, he I, I would. He must have CTE. 
after yeah. all these years of like putting all of his body into his performances, it's like Johnny Knoxville. So I was, well, I was looking at so apparently he's like had this he's had a limp for years and he's always covered it up in movies. But whenever like he got the script from PTA and stuff, he was like, all right, I'm going to lean into this thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he already like he's a dude. You can look at his face. You can tell he's had like a cleft. He had a cleft lip whenever he was a child and got that fixed. So he has all these like scars and like these weird body body things that he does. And in performances like this and Joker, um, he like really leans into those performances. It is funny after seeing this movie and remembering the Internet discourse around whenever Joker came out and people being like, actually, like Joaquin Phoenix is pretty hot. Like I'd get down with Joaquin. <laughs> I want whoever says that to watch the master and be like, what about now? <laughs> you, you still into that? Yeah, watch you him, watch him beating off into the ocean. <laughs> you can see his cute little butt just poking out. There it's, it's so wild to me, though, because he's able to ride that line between like dreamy and sleazy so well and not in a way that's like that's that still leaves you like longing for him because you're not longing for him Mm -mm. but just just on a purely like physical level not not like a emotional level because once you see like what this character is capable of you're the deeper side of you doesn't really connect that much but just his look just his look is like there's something off about this guy, but he still has like a a vibe, yeah, like a he's, classical. Yeah, he, I mean, he has that. What I'm saying, vibe. he has very a lot of similarities facially to Daniel Day Lewis, where it's just that like perfectly structured jaw that gives you like un, like so many lines that are cinematic from any angle that you shoot. Yeah, um, like he's you know cast on type. His hair is identical in this movie as well to DDLs and There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that and his character, it, it fascinates me. Just like I said about PTA, like I, I think when we were talking about uh, Boogie Nights, I said I really would want to ask him how he feels about love because it, it he doesn't look upon it with a lot of positivity in his early movies, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this movie, it's not even love. It's just like pure sex, like sexual animal instincts to fuck. Uh, that Freddie is, Quill so, is that is an animal, yeah, and that is ultimately Joaquin. Fe- that is Freddie Quill's master in the movie. Like, it, it's just what is in him. It's not. It's not any desire outside of what he was born to desire. So here is the thing, because I was like reading some stuff before I just did this rewatch last time about people talking about how like how of course like sexually depraved Freddie is, but also how sexually frustrated he is. Like, just because if you take, for example. Um, going back towards the beginning of the movie, whenever he first gets out of the war and he gets the job at the department store, he could have had sex with that woman, but he passes out. And like, there was kind of this theory of like, is he, despite the fact that he is just so horny, does still some part of him just want to be with like this first love of his life? Does he want to be with Doris? And it's not until, I mean, we don't see him actually have sex with anybody until the end of the movie after he finds out that Doris has moved on and has married somebody mm. else. Yeah, he he has uh, like a deep longing for the innocence 
of mm-hmm. a child. Yeah, it's a of, child. Of marrying a child. <laughs> he he fucks that uh that sand woman though. The sand mermaid. Yeah, he yeah, does. Really fuck early the sand into mermaid. the movie. Really, really gives you a good idea of what you're in for. Well, yeah. I mean it's for that to happen like a couple minutes in. It's, he's like, <laughs> it shows so much about how it's like it's not just I mean, because between that and then we'll get into the um the whole uh it's not called auditing. What is it called? Um Auditing is the actual Scientology. Uh, Yeah, the processing Um, that during that whole scene. But he didn't just get messed up from the war. He was very fucked up before going into the war. Like Mm -hmm. he talks about how his mother has like he has a history of severe mental illness in his family uh, about how he had sex with his aunt while he was a child. Uh, which yeah. means that he was raped, even if he can like said they wanted to do it. He was still a child and that was his aunt. And that's probably the source so of a lot of the. Yeah, like there's issues. so much that you can just like read into. And that's why you can kind of tell this movie does a great job of setting it up. So you think that Lancaster and Freddie have this like master pupil relationship. It's really closer to like a master and his dog. Yeah, it's literally like, an that's, animal. That's that he is just treating him like this wild beast. Mm-hmm. When um when PSH gives the whole speech about just like we find this dragon and it's kind of a nonsense speech that's all over the place. We just yeah. like and we have this lasso and we we wrap it around the dragon's neck and now we're walking the dragon. Yeah. And next we're going to teach it to play dead. And everyone claps. <laughs> right. Like it keeps flashing back and forth between him speaking and Freddie and Freddie. He doesn't get anything like he doesn't even like doing the awkward laughing like he doesn't understand. Like it's just going completely over his he's head. Like, what the he's talking yeah. about him in that scene. He's talking about how we're going to like tame the dragon inside of you and then we're going to kill the dragon and then you will be reborn and in another movie you'd be expecting this climactic third act moment where these two powerhouse characters sort of collide in this explosive moment and you have some sort of big realization or learning that carries us through the end of the movie Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen here. No. <laughs> There's no realization. There's no learning. No. It's just like, no, that's it. Yeah. The the realization that he is PSH's pet. I mean, aside from like all the scenes in which PSH simply says like you're an animal. Yeah. Uh, when they're <laughs> the way they interact when when uh, Freddie gets out of jail. And it's like a soldier coming home and like yeah. seeing his dog, you know, like, <laughs> and they like wrestle. Yeah, yeah, wrestling yeah. In the yard. He's like, yeah. He's like petting him. Like, yeah, it's like it's like when you have like a big dog and you start playing without in the grass. Like it's not like or even dude, before was- when the cops are coming to arrest them and Freddie like lashes out. Yeah. And tries he's to, like, a feral dog. Cop. That's what he is. Like it's. Yeah, Lancaster is like shouting like bad dog. That's basically what he's saying. Like down. I do want to if we can go back a little bit um, because I do kind of want to because there's so many ways to bounce around this movie. Let's talk about the beginning. Yeah. So we open on this boat uh, beach boat beach. Uh, Actually, I think so. The first shot is the ocean. And then the next shot after that, he's like wearing this like army helmet. Yeah. And there's so many moments in this movie that convey an entire scene in one shot. Yeah. 
whenever he has the flashback too during the like you just get a shot where it's it's not him on the beach you can tell like he's in the shit in that moment yes exactly and in, again in any other movie you would have like a full like 10 minutes devoted mm-hmm. to a whole sequence that explains what's happening there mm-hmm. you just get the one shot in this and it happens several times but we're at this beach he's fucking the mermaid in the sand all the guys are like they're like laughing at first. <laughs> yeah. But then, then they're they like, get like uncomfortable and start like, to walk he, away, yeah, which yeah. that gives you the entire dynamic because they all they're making that mermaid to be horny at it. Like that yeah. is what you used to do if you were in the Navy. You would just like you, it's like that old like Rick and Morty line. Like you, you would watch you would see like a curvy piece of driftwood and you get fucking <laughs> horny like they were animals. It's just that Joaquin was like the weirdest animal. Like he was the worst dog. He starts fucking it. He starts fingering it. And they're like so weirded out because he just keeps doing it. And then he goes and jerks off into the ocean. Yeah, which and the way that his back is arced and his ass is like <laughs> concave. That is literally what dogs look like when they're humping something. That yes, is exactly yes, what they yeah. look like. It's yeah. And it's not an accident. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's uh, right off the bat. You know what you're getting into because in there will be blood. You know, you spend this whole time in the hole with DDL while he's digging you don't know that this movie has like another side to it until like well into it. Mm. This one, you know, right from the start, from this opening sequence, like this is some weird shit. You know, you can laugh at it. It's OK. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah. No, this is like a very, very humorous movie. There is a lot of yeah, a lot like of all laughs of in here, just like every. But I mean, I feel like this one is like very, very overt with some of its comedy and just yes. how extreme it is. Yeah. And especially upon first viewing certain scenes, because you were you were laughing at the idea that it is a scene. Yeah. For example, the pick a point scene where they're, you know, <laughs> watching PSH go the like, motor. He's like, yeah, pick a point. I pick that point. And then he just goes really fast. And then it hard cuts to him like coming back. <laughs> he's like, yeah, <laughs> just like walking. It's just like he's going really fast. Ready? Ready? Yeah, like you would yell at your dog who's running away. Good boy. <laughs> just Wait, he doesn't come back. He doesn't come back. He just bails. Um, so going so right after they leave the beach scene, they go to the department store. Um Well, but right before that, oh, we see yeah, him it, make the uh, moonshine for the first time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Underneath the boat. While they're getting the announcement of VJ Day of the end of the war and stuff, he's just like, cool, they don't need these jets anymore and just starts like cutting a hose <laughs> and pouring it and like t- passing it around to everybody. Yeah, that rocks. That you're is wondering actually, why your great grandpa is kind of fucked up. It's because he was drinking yeah, jet that is, fuel. That's based on what they actually would do. They would they would mix uh, mm-hmm. fuel with canned fruit yep. uh, in the old Navy days. And that's a blast. Someone I really want to give a shout out to um, because I, I always appreciated his performance in I th- in just one scene, essentially, was Christopher Evan Welch, who plays yes. the dissenter, the, the mm-hmm. band who dares to challenge Philip Seymour Hoffman at the party in New York. Yes. yes. R.I.P. That was a great yes. scene. Yeah. He, unfortunately, he died in 2013 um, from complications of like cancer, I believe. But my God, that is a that is a part that I think is tricky, like secretly very tricky to land to be, you know, an intellectual who is not necessarily being smarmy, like is being very courageous, but also cannot be louder than Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, well, the the thing is that he is like 
pointing out like actual criticisms and trying to He's like correct. inquire with him and yeah. stuff like that. And Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's like one of the few times where Philip Seymour Hoffman like actually loses it because he yeah. can't have people questioning his authority. He loses, fuck. It. <laughs> he loses fuck. it with uh, Laura Dern too. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, Helen, what do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, I have uh, where I I <laughs> to go in order. So I'm just gonna get like there's so many things to bounce around with this movie. But one thing I will ask you guys it was something that i just thought about on this watch through and i could be totally off base here but i think that this movie is dreamlike enough that there is something there to this theory that the whole thing with the department store clerk which first of all i mean just a gorgeous tracking shot um along mm. with that song that's playing there about like putting the devil in the rear view and satan stuff get like, behind me satan yeah. get behind me yeah that like while um just like seeing the woman going around showing off the dress when they have the scene together and they like kind of hook up a little bit. I did have one thought to myself, which is like, is this real or is this made up in his mind? And I think that that can be that, that argument can be supported by one. Of course, the scene of seeing all the naked party guests that he is just so horny is just like imagining these naked women all the time. And also the scene in which Lancaster Dodd's daughter is, uh, trying to like grab his dick while her dad's talking, which is either that I, I mean, I don't think that she wants to fuck Freddie because I don't think that any person in their right mind wants to fuck yeah. Freddie. So it's either that she's not actually doing that. And this is like a figment of his imagination or that she is trying to trap him yeah. in that setting. Well, could go either way. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or that, you know, Remy Malik isn't laying it down. Good yeah. enough. La- Remy doesn't have a big enough hog. Rammy doesn't have that Freddy hog. Rammy's got a ram, Rammy, <laughs> Rammy, Rammy, Daddy. <laughs> um, oh man, the first freak out of Joaquin is uh great in the department store though, where they get the light mm-hmm, really yeah. close. To That's them. really hot. <laughs> That's hot. hot. It's, it's getting warm. It's hot. It's hot. <laughs> the the right before that though, when he's just before he starts losing his shit. The I think the very first shot we see of him with the camera is just like, I want to frame that. Mm-hmm. Like just Joaquin just lumbering, leaning over this mm-hmm. old timey camera, tinkering with it to take this photo. Oh, so good. It looks so fucking good. I don't good. know how he can give himself that much of a hunchback, like yeah. just naturally. Yeah. It's there's so much ambiguity. Like, cause going by farther than the, or like right after that, he works at the farm. Yes. The yeah, poisons, he kills, kills Frank. Yeah, because yeah. My guy Frank. you know, there is the argument that he you could see it as, you know, this is just an old man who didn't have like the ability to drink this fucking battery acid. But uh, also, he did say, you look like my father and then poisoned him mm-hmm. to death. Oof. <laughs> so yeah. You got to wonder, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, and it's not going to distinct. There's not going to be a scene later in the movie where he's, you know, he's getting processed and he's like, I killed a man because he looked like my daddy. Like, that's not going to happen because uh, this isn't that movie. So he runs away and he finds this boat and he stows away in the boat. And I love how you can see. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Amy Adams. And maybe if you look closely, you can maybe see Rami Malek and and Jesse Plemons in there. But you can definitely see PSH dancing to this Mm -hmm. music in the top deck in the background, very faintly blurred out as uh, Joaquin is running towards it. And it's just the tiniest little seed that like, oh, here we go. Now we're getting started. But we needed this bit right before 
to kind of ease you into this character and let you know that he isn't entering this story for any reason other than the fact that he has no, nothing else to do, yeah. nowhere else to go, no direction, no ambition, no objectives, nothing. Well, He's I just really wandering. I do really love, even though it's like a 30 second scene of him like working on the farm, because it shows him like, I mean, it mimics a lot of other movies that have tried to do this of capturing like PTSD coming back from war and stuff like that. But mm. I mean, this man is obviously fucked up well beyond PTSD even goes. So like he can't hold like a normal job, of course. OK, that makes sense. So then we put him out in the farm where he's just like him doing work and he can't even do that. Like so he cannot have any kind of a job. I mean, whenever Philip Seymour Hoffman first talks to him, he's just like, I you got back from the war. Like, why can't you, why can't you have a job? Like, there's nothing wrong with you. You can, you can, you can work. You said, you told me you were an able-bodied seaman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That first scene between the two of them, the processing scene. Oh my God. No, no, no. Before the processing scene. And and he's in the red. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Philip Zimmer often looks like he is like hungover from just drinking whatever the fuck. I don't know what elixir is in this (laughs) flask, but I must have more. Oh, I that right away, you know, this is a different PSH than you've seen yeah. in other movies or even in other PTA movies. Like, yeah, like you as far as you know, you're about to see the Joaquin Phoenix show mm-hmm. and then he comes in and he is matching every bit, you know, of of absolute class performance. And the biggest thing is like the dialogue that he's speaking in that scene is so like pompous. And he's delivering it mm-hmm. with this flair. Yeah. yeah. Well, his, his his accent is, you know, it's from the school of DDL and there will be blood. It's not necessarily a distinct period in time accent. It is just a, you know, some, you know uh, a dialect that someone would take on if they wanted to feel important. It's also <laughs> nothing like L. Ron Hubbard. Like P- Philip Seymour Hoffman was like he was one of the first people who was just like, I am not doing an L. Ron Hubbard impersonation. Because if you watch old videos of L. Ron Hubbard, there's nothing charismatic about L. Ron Hubbard. He just has like this braggadocious nature to him where he's just like, ah, yes, this is the way and this is how it is. Or Philip Seymour Hoffman like. I, I would join his cult, man. Like he could he could just smooth talk me into doing anything, especially if he started singing for me. Like, my God. Got a nice boat. Like, yeah, I'm just I'm in. All right. Um, so yeah, so then we're on the boat. Um, and there's a wedding. Rami Malik gets married to the daughter. And this what is- else happens on the boat? Well, see, th- th- this is well, the thing I mean, with he this gives movie. The, uh, he gives the, of course, he gives the dragon speech like right, right after the wedding. He's just like we fought against the day and we won. This this um, movie is like, it's like a swirl. Well, then, like we I, see, I, it's I I so I had to write down. I took notes this time because I've seen this movie so many times. So we had the first hypnosis scene with um uh what's her name from uh, Workaholics. Who's in that? Oh, like, Jillian yeah, Bell. Yeah, right. Jillian Bell. Yeah. That, that'll take you out of it for a sec. Yeah, I was just like, wait, what? Huh? <laughs> Pre-workaholics, Jillian Bell. Or maybe this was during. It was during, it. definitely. Yeah. It's just um, a funny time to see it. Basically, then, this, this, this then, stretch here is when they're getting really into the moonshine. They're getting trashed. Yeah. Like, they're really, really getting into it. And then there's kind of like a, a break when uh, Amy Adams kind of comes in and and basically says like this has to stop 
Well, okay. So before that happens, though, while they are still on the boat, we have uh, like one of my one of the greatest laughs in the entire movie is while everybody all like the women are sitting down listening to uh, <laughs> listening to Lancaster Dodds like broadcast about just like men are not animals. And like he's like listening to it and then writes down like, do you want to fuck smiley face <laughs> and shows it to the girl next to him? So good good yeah. shit. So good. And she almost just takes it like as a joke. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's like okay yeah I get i'll it. fuck you as a joke <laughs> as a it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit um okay so i mean what what's let's what's talk about next? the informal processing scene okay so yeah so this is the when yeah i so i love how it's like shrouded in shadow it's shrouded in shadow and there's the big wonder that everybody talks about but it's also it's just shot reverse shot it just is those two shots that just goes back and forth with. And then there's the really, really long one that stays on Joaquin. But I mean, this kind of leads into the whole like submissive nature to Freddie as a character that he's just like. It it shows like how he's just never really he never, of course, he says his father was dead, but he's never really had anybody like ask him questions mm-hmm. for a long time. He does the first little bit. And he's just like, no, that was fun. Like, let's do it again. Let's do it again right now. Like he wants just people. He wants to be important. He wants to have some kind of purpose. Yeah. And and then we get the the cuts to the flashbacks, which are done yeah. so well because it it really makes you feel like there is the slightest little bit of truth to this. The cause, which is like, you know, Scientology, essentially. But it it. It's 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 perfectly done because it's not like this is a movie that's trying to show that Scientology is legit, but it is trying to show that like it can somebody can have this level of influence. Yeah, it's showing that it's the people who get into cults like this are not stupid necessarily. Yeah, they are simply susceptible to I mean, Scientology in particular, like the the. Uh, entire premise of Dianetics is based very heavily on just like what therapy and hypnotherapy are mm-hmm. like it's it's rooted in in a lot of science but then they take it and they they use it for a purpose which is not what you're supposed to do um so yeah it, it's I don't know I, it I it almost was admirable to me that he didn't paint it as like this is a bunch of fucking idiots yes you yeah. know on this ship no these are just people who like anyone that you know like jonestown wasn't just a bunch of absolute morons who decided to do all that they just human beings can have undue influence on others well that's the thing about that we talked about with there will be blood too that pta is so good about where he doesn't quite make you reach the point of empathy for these people but he still makes you feel and like at least have some sort of understanding of where they are coming from and with psh that's the it's the key that performance is the key because it's like, like you said, like you want to be seduced by his influence and his power. You're 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 right there. You're already one foot in the door. Mm. So to, the 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 whole conceit of the character and the execution of it just plays right into what the whole sort of point of this cause is. And, and why these people are following this guy. You know, it, mm-hmm. it all like clicks together perfectly. Any other guy in this role, you wouldn't buy. Right. Really. I mean, may, 
there might be some guys, you but, know. I mean, Philip Seymour but, Hoffman is perfect for that. And by the same token, Joaquin is perfect to play the pet. Like, he is yeah. perfect to play the guinea pig in this role. His fucking mannerisms, like the way that his face just changes throughout the infringement. If, if you cannot start again, you start blanking in from now. Yeah, just starts like slapping himself in the quick, face and quick sidebar here. Do you guys know who almost played Freddy Quill? Can I? Oh, if I'm is it because, someone? For, is it someone from the Well of PTA or no? No, because right before this movie went into production, Joaquin Phoenix was still in his trying to be a hip hop star phase mm -hmm. with ah. the full beard. Mm -hmm. He had retired from acting, wanted to be a rapper, was actually Man, making 2011. A, was, was actually try, was actually making okay. a documentary with Casey Affleck. Hunter, we're allowed to ask one question each before we both guess. OK, OK. My question is, would this have been good, do you think? No. <laughs> okay. Hard no on. That's a hard no from. So um, Wikipedia lists two people who were like neck and neck for the role. Would younger, younger than uh, Joaquin. Uh, around the around the same. Oh, would okay. My guess is going to be like Jared Leto or something. Oh no, right. <laughs> that's honestly a good guess. <laughs> that's that's what I thought. Would, that would be that would been, be better. He's than a guy these who's guys. been kind of like not quite like on the back burner of people at PTA. Like a lot of past. Okay. So would either of them have been good? Neither. I think one of them could do it, but the movie would be Bradley so Cooper. different. <laughs> no <laughs> fucking way. I I would actually like to see that. Oh uh, no. Be, now I well couldn't go full unhinged. So so PTA's first choice was Phoenix. Yes, but he what he wouldn't take the role because he wanted to be a rapper. You got it. Hold on, Christ. hold on. I'm I'm just gonna like look at actors' faces because he does a lot of facial casting. PSH was like a lock from the start. Like he yeah. was he wrote yeah, yeah, the role yeah. for him, and they it never budged. Which I I don't see who else you could put in there that's around that same age because you can't go much older. Well, I mean. He also, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, even though he's not doing an L. Ron Hubbard impersonation, he does look a lot like L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Like, just with the casting itself. Blonde, and kind he of just wants to put heavy kind set. of, yeah, heavier set, dude. All right. You, I, get, I you just, get one guess. It's just so. Is it not an Affleck? Did you already say that? Oh, OK. It's I just don't know. so like his role, man. This is brutal. <laughs> um, What about like Colin Farrell? Ah, uh, no, I, I love I, Colin I, Farrell. Colin Farrell cannot. Well, no, do I'm this not role. saying I want that. It's my <laughs> okay. fucking guess. That no. would suck. Okay, so, so, so the two guys in line, the one that I, um, think could have actually wait matt damon it. no oh, <laughs> oh whoa mark Wahlberg. he's gonna no! bring him back <laughs> no get out of here he has to show the dick yeah though. you have to see him jacking <laughs> off you have to see him with the prosthetic dick jacking off into the ocean well but but that was the prosthetic was flaccid so if he's if he's jerking oh man he's like a jerking off like a 15 inch penis <laughs> jeremy renner yes yes <laughs> You looked it up, didn't you? No. Wait. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's it was Renner, what? dude. It was Renner. Was, oh. I, I was telling a joke. I wasn't that even trying to guess. That would have been a disaster. <laughs> you think that would have worked? No, no, no. The one that I thought would have worked is uh, James Franco. I mean, it'd be better than Renner. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I honestly, I think they have runners in this movie. I think that it might be a total disaster. <laughs> Could you imagine? I also think Jeremy Renner might so, be bad. According to Wikipedia, oh, dude, they were going <laughs> to start shooting with Renner. Because Joaquin was not done with the whole rapper thing. So so Renner is almost like the Eric Stoltz of this. <laughs> yeah. so they Eric probably Stoltz. shot some yeah. stuff. They started filming and they're like, is this guy bad? I yeah, they, we were good. They, they looked at the dailies and they were like, what were we thinking? They, yeah, they were about to shoot in 2010 and they ended up postponing the movie for almost an entire year. Mm. I guess because... They must have caught wind that the whole Joaquin thing was like an elaborate bit and that eventually he was going to like start acting again. Yeah. I just like I can't here. I feel like they would have I feel like they would have had to recast Runner as soon as they got him and PSH in the same room because they would have been like, oh, he is not on the same level. He's not. Yeah, he's he not going to win this fight. Like, this is going to be ugly. <laughs> like, OK, here I have a couple pitches. Um, Tom Hardy. Too too old. Yeah. No, Hardy. I think he's too old. Hardy, whatever you put that guy in, he's gonna rock it, even yeah. if people don't like it. No, I think that you'd have to change it around because I think that you would have to make Freddie older, but I could definitely see that. Yeah, because he's really not older than Joaquin. He looks a little older. No, no, no but that's the thing is that older. no, because like, I, I just think Tom Hardy has like he's looked like he is like 45 since he was yeah. for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, what about a star making performance for Oscar Isaac? He I, he's too lovable. He has yeah. the look, though. He I want to I want to fuck Oscar Isaac. I do not want to <laughs> fuck Joaquin in this movie. Maybe Oscar Isaac's like getting his on the ship. <laughs> Tom Hardy looking like he just walked off the set of Inception. I could buy him in this role. I mean, before I, he bulks up for Bane. I just think he he does a good job with facial acting. Like, I think that. Oh, yeah. I Hell think. Yeah. 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 I think that he would have good like. Uh, wild look eyes. here let's remake the master now in 2020 timothy chalamet um <laughs> yo honestly unhinged timmy no timmy timmy chalamet needs to play the paul dano role and there will be blood that is perfect that's, that's chalamet that's could do that and i will die on that hill that would be great i i hey i love some we're a timmy friendly podcast according to wikipedia joaquin phoenix was allowed to improvise on set mm-hmm and he lost a lot of weight, obviously. And PTA compared his commitment to that of Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. due to his level of concentration yeah. and the fact that he stayed in character for the entire three-month shoot. Yeah, he's, that he's, sounds he's, like a disaster. <laughs> like yeah, that, oh, just, just to be like the, the like person just bringing food and like the caterer and oh, stuff. Oh, no, it would suck. And this guy's shit. just like, hey, you want to you wanna go fuck? You got a nice ass. <laughs> <laughs> fucking buffalo bill <laughs> i want to fart on your face big old fat person um, that yeah i read that he improvised uh in the very beginning his lines on the beach talking about how to get rid of crabs uh, that's the not first joke, lines of the movie uh, yeah i read that he fully improvised that like how you shave one ball and then like go with the other <laughs> you one light ice pick. the other one yeah you light the other one on fire so they run out and then you just start stabbing your balls with an ice pick he Joaquin Phoenix is Daniel Day Lewis, but with more trauma and with a cleft lip and with a deviated septum. So you can hear every breath he takes <laughs> and more twisted. Uh, yeah. And a He's little a little more, bit more damaged. <laughs> so, OK, so around the halfway point of the movie, we get to 
the the bulk of the supporting cast starting to like turn on Quill because they sense that he's not a true believer to some extent. Yeah, and he, and he just generally is a nightmare and he's causing chaos well, for is everybody. Is that before or after the, uh, the jail scene? Whenever he first gets in prison, we're introduced to Laura Dern and all that stuff. Um... um I think that that's it's around that, that time. Yeah, no, no, no. Because first they they go. So they start out in New York and then they get kicked out of New York very shortly um, because of uh, my boy John Moore, the skeptic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens. Fuck. That's also an improvised line, which is very you can tell it's improvised because like PSH is like out of breath when he says it. <laughs> it start. it happens around that time. So we get that scene and then we get like little seeds here. Of like Rami Malik and Amy Adams, like sort of starting to raise, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, of you start getting, Yeah, you start seeing Amy Adams's character as like the behind the scenes force behind this organization that she is, which I love because that it plays into the title of the movie, right? Because everybody calls PSH uh, Lancaster the master; they call him master, mm. but in a way, she's his master. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the whole like it's an old timey saying now, but behind the greatest men is like the greatest is a woman giving him a hand job in front of the mirror. (laughs) So that's what I wanted to say was we can't blow past that. Everybody talks about the naked party scene, but immediately following that is Amy Adams pregnant Amy Adams jacking him off and being like you gotta lay off the booze you gotta (laughs) lay off the booze while she's just like beating his meat and they're both looking in the mirror. It is that's the thing. PTA knows how to take sex and make it as unromantic yeah. as possible. Like he knows how to make sex like kind of revolting. Mm-hmm. Like he does it in a lot of his movies, but especially this is the most overt one. Like there is nudity in this movie. Nothing about this nudity is ever attractive or shown romantically in any way. He revels in the sort of power that comes with that type of uh, grossness. Yeah. With the, it, I, it's not sensual. It's I not also, sexy. I always laugh at the fake pubic hair that they have during the nude scene. Right. That it's like, <laughs> it's just a giant bush. It's just a giant bush. It's like, I know it was the fifties, but hair didn't grow like that. Even then <laughs> All the way. where you just had like, just <laughs> like, so then we get the jail scene. Uh, which is we already mentioned is amazing. The yeah, whole, them like, shot eruption. side by side. That th- the fear of capture and imprisonment is implanted in you. <laughs> and then they just, it's all calm, and then losing your shit until they just have like a screaming match yeah. of "fuck you" to each other. So, and- so what starts to happen here, you know, coupled with what happens right leading up to that, is that essentially the 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 tide sort of starts to turn right where we have this character freddie that's entering this dynamic and starting to kind of you know rock the boat a little bit fuck shit up and then we have a a a real uh effort to basically tame the dragon essentially Uh, yeah, he it becomes a group effort yes. because he can sense that it's going to ha- that's the way he's going to be able to keep him around. Exactly. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but no one else is drinking the shit that he's making. It's just it's so, just the two of them. Yeah. So like obviously Amy Adams picked up on that, you know, that he is giving PSHs. But if you di- weren't to pick that up and you were in this group, you'd be like, why is he here all the time? Yeah. What is he doing for us? Yeah. Well, because he's like clearly doesn't 
believe the shit that they're spouting. He just like, it's like a rent free. He's a drifter. I mean, this is just a yep. spot for him to say. He's just like, this is my friend now, I guess. Like he's kind of hooking me up. Yeah. Like this is well, just- from, from the first scene when they meet, he becomes, he, he enters the dynamic as like, I am the guy who's going to make your booze. Yeah. That is my purpose for being here. You liked the stuff that I had. And now I can make more. I'll make something special for you, he says. So that's really the only purpose that he seems serving. But then he sees that he's entered this whole cult, essentially. And he can't just be the guy who makes the booze because everybody around him is like gravitating towards this grander purpose. Mm hmm. And they see that he isn't, and not only that, but he's he's actively obstructing. Like he he is doing bad shit. Yeah, he's doing bad. He's like going to get them all imprisoned and stuff. But then after the dinner scene, in which I always laugh at Remy Malik is like, I think that somebody got to him, and I think that he's a spider cover. It's like. Uh, this dude's like the human embodiment of id. He does not have a brain enough for somebody to like coerce him into yeah. doing anything. You yeah, idiot. he's playing Remy both Malik. sides. Yeah, like, <laughs> do you just like hang out with this dude for five minutes and you'll tell like he is not smart enough to even actually do that? Um, I love then, Rami Malik is like a sn- sneaky little snitch. Yeah, he yeah he's just a little fucking snitch boy. <laughs> and I also love the daughter is just like I think he's in love with me. Which if you do read that seed before as literal, it comes across as like she couldn't get to him so that she's just like bitter about it because remy isn't laying down that wood mm. um but then we get to the like freddy's the, when they try to like when philip seymour often is essentially trying to like break the dog he's trying to house train this animal and take the beast and, out and of it, him and it's structured like a montage yeah we, it's, we're it's cutting flips to between all these. four different sequences where we have uh, Freddie just walking back and forth and touching the wood and then touching glass and doing that for what we assume is like hours yeah. of him doing that until he just like completely breaks um, him with Amy Adams where he's just like staring color into my each eyes other. green. OK, turn them blue. Yeah. Now turn them black. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, so perfectly dude. edited too. that. Like yeah. it actually just like her eyes do slowly change colors while you're watching them. That Yeah, that's absolutely lovely. And then him and Rami, which is always my favorite. He's just like, I want to fart in your face. <laughs> so I'll lean over and fart in your face. I wish I could fart right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Amy Adams reading him the like erotica. Yeah. And he's just like, I don't want to hear this. I don't yeah. want to hear this. And he's just like, don't react. Just listen. And, you know, this whole thing is just cut together in a way that makes you sort of start spinning a little bit. You're watching mm-hmm. it and you're just like, oh, God, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And again, any other movie, any other director, you'd probably feel like you need to turn the fucking movie off at this point because you've been given so little. Yeah. And we're more than halfway done with the movie. And and you're like, is anything going to happen to latch me into this? But for some reason, this movie, you welcome this feeling mm. of like slowly spinning out of control and slowly like being essentially like hypnotized and indoctrinated. Well, yeah, I mean, you brought up the word montage, which is kind of perfect because in a way this is like an anti-montage because montages are used to like used in movies to expedite the plot to get you from point A to point B. But 
this montage like takes you more into the nonsense and into the craziness. <laughs> like we come out on the other side of this montage, if you will, to <laughs> to Lancaster Dodd obtaining his lost work in the middle of the desert. And you're like, <laughs> what? Where are we in time and space? What the fuck is so happening to right me, now? That spot is the same spot where a hundred years ago, a man named Daniel Plainview <laughs> started a little oil company. He does love, a little the, he does love the West. It, it just the look of those rocks and everything. I was like, oh, this is a little cross. Even, this even is a though little... there will be blood was set in California and this is set in Phoenix or outside of Phoenix. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. PTACU. West. PTUSA. It's a different country. I That's love, a country I want to live in. <laughs> I love that, like, he's wearing, PSH is wearing, like, almost like a Hawaiian-looking shirt. When yeah. Digging out there. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's oh, incredible. Well, I mean, that's that what is, rich people wear on fucking safaris. That's yeah. the most that we can, that's the closest we get to, like, him actually being, like, trained, where, like, like, Lancaster tells him, like, all right, P- stop. Yeah. <laughs> all right, now let's move. Like, Good it boy. is, like, yeah, it is, like, literally, like, just having a dog, like, just, like, bringing him along with him. Um, they announced a, book two. I have a question. Can we get Peter Quill to do some ad reads for us for the podcast? Because of his radio spot where he does, where he's just like, if you are Freddy interested Quill? in, yeah, Freddie Quill. Who did I say? Peter Quill. <laughs> Peter Quill. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Star Lord. No, can we get a Freddie Quill to do some ad reads for us? It's like if you are interested in coming on down to have your fortunes changed forever, it's, come on and free. get a copy of the <laughs> split scene, saber. That scene when he's standing by like the curb handing out pamphlets. Uh, if you've ever been to New York City, per se, mm, yeah. and you walk near a Scientology building, you will see those guys mm-hmm. handing out pamphlets saying the same type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Discover yourself. Find your true meaning. Uh, so then we have book two and the whole sort of freak out with Laura Dern there, uh, how she sort of points out that like the process processing has uh, shifted. Yeah, the change it. They changed the processing platform question from can you recall to can you imagine, mm-hmm. which is a core change in stuff, which made me kind of like think about like. This is another thing, and maybe I've seen this movie too many times at this point that I'm even thinking about this movie so much, but is it like, did he change the format of the question to sell more books, or did he change it because Philip Seymour Hoffman is starting to kind of doubt his own teachings? He changed it uh, so that he could have more power, because uh, saying, can you recall, you know, that's a more, like, what he says is true, but he frames it in a positive way. It's a more limiting word when, if you say, can you imagine, anyone can imagine anything. Right. And when people might be more like, well, I can't remember. He's looking at how he can grow. I I just didn't know if there was a chance that like Philip Seymour Hoffman is trying to use him, use Freddie as some kind of a guinea pig. And he's seeing that it's not working. And he is wondering, like he's questioning his own like. No, I I think this world that he has started. I think it's more. Because L. Ron Hubbard notoriously is like he was a dude that if 
Scientology has tried to bury this, but he is a person who uh, started to kind of question the things that he was teaching later on in his life and wondering if he was doing the right things by saying all this stuff and spouting all this nonsense that people believe. Well, thank God he died, because if he had undone all of his great work, yeah, I, I don't know where I would be. I certainly wouldn't be in Clearwater, Florida, where we are currently <laughs> recording at the top of the 20 story Scientology building downtown. We all have antennas in our heads. Should I? Should I, try and get, I was talking about getting a new job. Should I try and apply there? Sure. I'm sure it's just all volunteer. Work. It is. I don't think that they pay you. I, I you do, pay them. Yeah. I do wonder how this movie hits if you don't have hardly any outside knowledge of Scientology and Sea uh, Org particularly, because that's something I've read about since I was like way younger. Like I'm yeah. very interested in that. Uh, and that informs so much of this movie. Like mm-hmm. that is there is no this movie doesn't exist without Scientology and Sea Org. Like it is based he can say it's partially based on it. it is heavily based on it. It's not based on any particular text or like account of it, but uh, which like, is a great way to do it. I don't think the movie would be as good no, if it was like directly about. No, we don't want the Scientology life. movie. And so I partially we have the Church of Scientology to thank for that, because if this were directly based on them, they would have sued PTA yep. into a grave. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they and do. Tommy Cruz wouldn't have gotten him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tommy, no Tommy would have just totally bailed on PTA. Would have been a shame. So after that, then we get the desert scene, the motorcycle, which just looks amazing. Yeah, and it's funny, incredible, <laughs> and funny. Talk about putting just a picture on a poster. I kind of want to. I've thought about before about getting a print of Philip Seymour Hoffman driving in on one the direction on the motorcycle, and then Joaquin driving in the opposite direction on the motorcycle, and like hanging them up next yeah. to each other. You could do that for like every scene yeah. in this movie. <laughs> you could just fill every wall. Yeah, it's 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 fucking gorgeous on the salt flats. And then yeah, he leaves. He goes home. Doesn't come back. Doesn't come back. I so then we have him like kind of go and try and get some closure with Doris who has now moved on. She is now Doris day. She's moved. Um, with that. She's, yeah. Yeah, moved she's to Alabama. Got a couple babies with an ugly man. Um, <laughs> she's, she's still ugly. He's still ugly. <laughs> um, yeah. So I had no question because I was like trying to think about this movie. So then we have him like, Saying there, he loses the only drive that he has. And so he is just kind of a drifter without any home or anything. He's passed out in the movie theater <laughs> where they bring him a phone. <laughs> so it's so funny. I I really started to think, like, are we just because I have thought this before while watching the movie is like, is any of this real right. that we're seeing? Or is this like, have we just completely gone inside the head of Joaquin at this point in the movie? Because not only is this like kind of insane what's happening if that is like a thing that happened in the 1950s then i i want to do that now where just somebody just brings I, me a little telephone he's asking but, like how did you find me how did you find me yeah because it's like well, at, that, at that point it's like but then even when impossible. when he arrives to england they're like psh and amy adams don't look like they were expecting him like it's kind of more of like a why did you come here mm. Uh, he like, brings the cools, they, though. He brings the cools, but also, like, he's just like, thank you. He doesn't say, like, ah, yes, I'm really been needing these. <laughs> well, like, it is one of those things where it's just like, did, was this, because he talks about how I had a dream. He's just like, in my dream, you said that you figured out how we met and stuff right. like that. So it's like, is, are we witnessing a dream right now? And that's what called him to go to England? It's, it's a great question. I, I mean, there's know. this, I mean, this whole movie, especially is very this last, like, 
act of the movie is just extremely like kind of fantastical. Yeah. I think a lot of that also, if we're to take it more realistically, it comes down to the fact that Amy Adams truly doesn't fucking want him anywhere near them. Yeah. Yeah. And yet Philip does, uh, but he's trying not to let on that he invited him. You know, you can, you can, you can read it. Yes, that way. yes, yes. He, she doesn't know about the phone yeah. call and he doesn't want to reveal Yeah. And it. so despite the framing of the shot where, which is gorgeous, by the way, where he is, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman is center stage. He's on this unbelievable fucking throne she's by this corner. giant window. And she's just to the side of him. She's doing all of the talking until yeah. she leaves. She is like, you can't take life straight, can you? And he truly does look like dog shit in that scene. Yeah, yeah. he's correct. Especially, he cannot take I mean, it is. I feel like he kind of like especially loses himself even more than he already did whenever he loses the only drive that he had. And Doris, that was the one thing that he was like, well, one day I can go home and then I can have this girl. Yeah. So to me, this this sort of ending bit here doesn't because we just saw there will be blood last week. It doesn't strike as like poignantly as the ending of there will be blood be just it's like an unfair comparison but the ending of there will be blood is just like an all-timer like absolute fireworks banger legendary ending this ending is like it's still amazing but it, it in comparison it, which again is unfair just doesn't hit quite as good but that speech that he has about like the past lives the past of the life Persian yeah, with the Prussians, yeah, secret yeah. smugglers or yeah, whatever. Like, we sent all but two balloons in the <laughs> harshest winter on record. All but two. I, <laughs> it's incredible. I, it's incredible, and it. Well, I mean, it is kind of. You said like that is how I would describe there will be bloods ending. Is like it's like a firework going off, and this is like a lighter at a concert, like a single lighter that just yeah. like slowly goes out. Every single time, even before Philip Seymour Hoffman died, like this ending gets me choked up. And even now, like especially just watching him sing Slow Boat to China, Oof. like and that I didn't even talk about it earlier. But the choice choices that PTA makes, not just with the score, but with the songs that he uses, like I'm on a slow boat to China. It's just like kind of the song about like I want to have you all to myself to take care of and to mentor and to hold like it almost is like a love story. It like really we said, is. we said like this, this movie doesn't have that, but it kind of it does. Kind of even does. if it's, it's a man and his dog, there's a love there. Yeah. You know? Like, I mean, it's just, but it's kind of this whole thing where like he, like Lancaster Dot is always going to be this grand master. And Freddie Quill is always just going to be this, this, like free seaman who just needs the open airs and just breezes wherever he goes. The speech when he, when he says like, if you can make it out there with no master out there, then you will be the first man history ever has is so poignant because yep. everybody has some kind of a master, whether let it the is, rest of us know whether it you. is a boss or somebody who you're paying rent to or somebody you're paying a mortgage to, or you have a God, some kind of a higher being that you need. Every person has some kind of a master. Mm -hmm. And Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix is, is titty. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the nip. It's the nip. It's just, it's. <laughs> and then the last shot of the movie is him resting on a little sand Yeah, before that, nip. no. Freddie finally gets laid. The only That's time right, in the movie yeah. he, he after seeing yeah, and, him, and, he, and he starts like trying girl, to process processes her while he's <laughs> yeah. processing her. <laughs> well, imagine if you're like in the middle of having sex and they're like, 
right, we're going to do a test right now. Tell me your Don't name. Don't blink. <laughs> Don't blink. You blinked. Start she's over. Like, What's he. your name? <laughs> tee tee. Uh, nice English broad. It rocks. Great movie. Movie rocks. Um, favorite scene. If you had to pick one, I I don't know because I I don't want to I don't want to be the guy that says it is simply the the shot on Joaquin where he is getting processed, but that is just like well I, I would say that whole sequence yeah that's yeah. just about the best shit I've ever seen yeah like that's as good as I, it gets. that's so it's between that or kind of the montage thing that we were talking about because mm. that one has some more humor to and it and the Johnny Greenwood score to yeah. throughout that whole yeah so sequence. good but I I would also go with that sequence with just Joaquin because that is single-handedly some of the best acting I've ever yeah. seen. And and well, and also if you're trying to imagine a recast in this role, like we are, that is what you're imagining. Who is yeah. really going to go for it in that shot? Nobody. <laughs> the only, this is the only person modern day that I would like to see do that is Shia LaBeouf. Honestly, yo, I would watch the fuck out of him doing yeah, that. I mean, it's that, not as good of a movie. Of course though. not, but he's it's, he's the most similarly movie. like very difficult to work with method actor that we have now, who's like all over the place. But remember, remember what we said last week about the veins, the the veins oh, on DDL, unbelievable vein acting in this movie. That shot of Joaquin trying not to blink, all that vein, so much veins. Oh, and Phillips got some vein yeah. in his own right. But that's what I'm saying is like. Le- Shia LaBeouf, he, he's a veiny dude. <laughs> he's a vascular man. Yeah. <laughs> he's very well vasculated. He could do it. He could do I, it. It would come off completely different just because like with Shia, like the whole just do it and like all of that shit, the everything around Shia. He's just the only now. actor I can think yeah. of that is an animal. Yeah. Like yeah, he, he he's that. very in touch with the animals. That's side true. Of I'm actually the more and more that I think about it, I'm not as opposed to it as I was immediately whenever you said yeah. he's not as good of an actor, so it's not as good. Yeah. Shia could have done I, uh Shia could have done Freddie, but Joaquin Phoenix could not have done Dear Sister, aka the shooting on uh, uh, SNL. No. What you say? Um He's no Jeremy. Another Renner. thing Oh God, dear God. I'm just gonna pass right over that. Another thing about that scene that I really love is that like you can barely see Joaquin's eyes in this entire movie. It like really adds to his character that he's just like so flighty and like he doesn't really make eye contact with anybody. He's looking straight except through his eyes for Philip Seymour Hoffman. And this one, like his eyes are so wide because he's trying not to blink. Yeah. They're turning red. Uh, Jeremy Renner, uh, he's, he's playing this role. He's like, uh, master, I, I came up with, um, I came up with a song to help sell our, <laughs> our, uh, our beliefs. I want to make you a I, that kind of makes me. I'm not going to lie. That kind of makes me a little bit mad at Paul Thomas Anderson that he even considered Jeremy Renner for this role. They were going to remember in 2012, 2011, 2012, when people were like, Every Jeremy movie. Renner is, we wanted to make Jeremy Renner the guy so goddamn bad. Yeah, and he just wasn't that. Oh. Speaking of, Woof. I another some other catch up to close this out. I I watched like some new uh, Mark Wahlberg movie that went straight to Netflix. It's called Spencer Confidential. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you watched? Did that? you watch it? No, dude, dog shit. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, I've heard really it's aggressively horrible. bad. It it made me think a lot about Renner because 
uh, Renner, his next move, he's not going to go away. He's going to keep being in movies. But much like Wahlberg, they should both just be in like Law and Order at this point in their careers. They I don't think, need to be here anymore. They can go away. So I think that it's funny that you brought up Wahlberg for Spencer Confidential uh, because I think that that is much closer to the career path that we will see out of Jeremy Renner than it will be an actually critically acclaimed actor where they have some really good roles early in their career. They have some good success. They have their the towns or they have their boogie nights. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, they are just kind of a generic action guy. And that's who they are. Well, that's Jeremy Renner uh, on this week's pod. Uh, I had no idea about this movie. Dude, it is a great. It's like it's like dumb guy uh, fantasy. Basically, (laughs) it's like what if you know. I, uh, yo, like, what if I was like a cop and like everyone wanted to fuck me and be my best friend? And I got, I was in jail for like being too good of a cop. And then I got out and I was still a good cop. Like, it is, it is like, it's like the oh, room. It's directed by Peter Berg. Yeah, who makes all these with Wahlberg. It's like Wahlberg's The Room, basically, because it's just like a fantasy of like, what if I was like the coolest Boston guy? You know? <laughs> oh, no. It's so aggressive. I didn't want to see it because I heard I heard somebody say that like it was like a worser Triple Frontier, and I was like, no, I don't want to see that because I could just watch Triple Frontier, which is a great movie, and yeah. I stand by Triple Frontier. I wouldn't say it's great. It's fine. I love Triple Frontier. Yeah, it's fine. It's it's not a great movie. It's probably the best Ben Affleck performance in like the last ten years. Oh, the the sad Affleck basketball movie is supposed to drop on HBO. Uh, cool. I think yep. Next. Oh, week. oh, cool. Let me know how it is. <laughs> watch the he's last alcoholic. <laughs> i don't want to watch that fucking movie he's sad he's I, poking I like anna de armis i don't feel bad for him he got a that's whole true, back <laughs> i just don't feel bad for the fella i have to pee so bad all right well <laughs> thanks for listening rate review subscribe follow us online at we bought a mic email us donate thanks to brian for donating uh we will be back next week with what Inherent vice? Is that what we're feeling? Yeah, let's, let's just finish let's do it, it up. Let's do it. And yep. then beyond that, we're looking at Mulan. We're looking at Tenet. Um, we'll see. Oh, Hunter mentioned it earlier, but I was on the first and final frames podcast, so check me out on there. Final uh first and final frames film fights. Uh I'll put the link in the show notes. If you oh, if we're if, if we're you plugging win. No spoilers. You better fucking win. If we uh, if we're plugging other uh, podcasts that we're on, then uh, check out the aggressively okay podcast that I was Mission Impossible on uh, Mission Impossible retrospective. Cool, awesome. I was on the most recent Joe Rogan experience. Um, (laughs) Were you were you the guy that was saying that like uh, COVID is gonna like mutate and turn us into like lizard Scientology? Well, that was Joe. I was talking about my experience um, taking ayahuasca with some gorillas. (laughs) And then we did MMA. All right. That sounds awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye. You pig fuck!